Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to Friday's edition of the programme, hoping we find you all in good form this morning. John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. You can text or WhatsApp 86 2103103. Coming up on the programme this morning, we are going to hear a call from the Labour Party for the reintroduction of town councils. Town councils were abolished back in kind of 2013-2014 in that the last local elections we had, we didn't, it was the first time we didn't vote anybody on to uh, town councils Uh, and it was Phil Hogan, I remember at the time, he was the minister responsible for announcing the death nail of the town councils there was kind of a mixed reaction at the time, some people felt there was too many councillors in this country and that they didn't have enough powers and maybe it was better to centralise all of the councillors and give them more powers, even though I don't know if they got any more powers than they had previous when we had town councils but it's funny it's one of those things you don't miss it until it's gone certainly since 2014 since we lost the town councils I I, I was even saying to John Paul I can't I I certainly we, we didn't make a note of the number of times people would contact us about an issue local to their area that these I have to say would be towns that had town councils who were then bemoaning the fact oh back in the day of the town council you would have seen one of the local councillors walking down to the town they lived in the town they knew the problems of the town they would get it sorted or if they couldn't sort it themselves they knew who to speak to in order to get it sorted. So certainly for people that had town councils in the past, over the years, they have been missed. Not by all, not by all, but certainly they have been missed by some. And only yesterday when we spoke about the traffic problems that was experienced on Wednesday in the town of Clonakilty, it got mentioned again about town councils. And if we had town councils and town councillors walking around, they would have been able to perhaps sort out the problems and get the traffic flowing a little bit better. So people already starting to, to bemoan it. So that's the question we're going to ask today. And we very much welcome your thoughts and comments. And we'll listen to the proposals that have been put forward by the Labour Party, because obviously... We are into uh, coming into the period of a local elections and European elections at the end of May. So now is the time when people are going to be calling to your doors. And from what I can gather, the Labour Party are hoping to make this put it on the agenda of the election. So obviously, when people are calling to your door, I'm assuming that that's one thing that the the 
people, the Labour Party are going to ask people to start talking about it on the doorstep, start mentioning it to the local candidates who call. So your thoughts, would you like to see town councils returned if you were in a town that had a town council or are you from an area that didn't have a town council and would like to see a town council be put in place? Your thoughts are welcomed on that. We're going to remember Tootsie on the programme today. Tootsie was the world's oldest mule. 56, a fine age. There's, to just tell you, the, those mules and donkeys and ginnets and horses, don't they live when they're looked after? Don't they live to ripe old ages? I think it's terrific to think that this animal lived to the age of uh, 56. Unfortunately, he passed away this week in the donkey sanctuary in Liscour. Worries for Cove when it comes to the number of cruise liners and cruise ships that pull into a cove, they have been rising year on year. I mean, cruise liners, fantastic for the local community from a tourism point of view and indeed the wider area because, you know, some people will get off the cruise ship and they'll just stay in the actual town where the cruise ship docks. Others will get on buses and they'll go further afield. They might go into uh, Cork City or uh, to West Cork. You know, they move around and they... So people benefit from people getting off uh, cruise ships and tourists traditionally have a tendency to spend money so from from an, an economy point of view cruise liners docking in your area is worth money to the area so anything that's going to affect the number of cruise ships that we bring into Cove we need to take a look at and need to see is there something that we can do it turns out that Dublin Port have announced that they're over halving the number of cruise liners that they're allowing to dock in Dublin Port from 2021. Now it's to do with the space issue. They have so much cargo coming in to Dublin Port that they don't have room for all of the cruise liners and I'm assuming the fact that this decision has been made, the cargo is worth more to Dublin Port than the docking of the cruise liners. So they decided they're going to have the number. Now when I heard this initially, I didn't think it was going to, I didn't realise that there would be a knock-on effect for Cove but there is a knock-on effect for Cove and we'll find out why and what Cove can do coming up on the programme uh, later on. Looking forward to catching up with Jeff Marshall and Vicky Pipe, who we spoke to on Monday morning on the programme when they were embarking on an amazing journey that is taking them to every single railway station on the island of Ireland, so both north and south of the border. They're about a quarter of a way. I mean, they're doing really well. I think they've come up to about, they're about 48, 49 stations out of 198 that they have to visit. So they're doing well on week one and they've had a glorious week weather-wise. I saw them on a Facebook Live. They were at Mallow train station yesterday. They're joining us. I think they are in Cork today. We'll find out more when we speak with them a little bit later on. And I know that they're going to be spending some time in Cork. I don't know if it's today or tomorrow. So they're looking for suggestions of places that they can go don't suggest somewhere like Blarney Castle because that's too far out. They're looking for somewhere almost in the city centre that they can walk around to. I mean, an obvious choice would be to send them down to the English market. But if you had a young uh, English couple staying with you and they said to you they were going to spend a day or they were going to spend a couple of hours at a few hours free in Cork City, where would you send them to? Where's a good place for them to go and uh, visit? Bearing in mind that they vlog about their journey and they have a 
big, big internet following. So it would be nice to send them somewhere that will get a bit of publicity when they put their little videos together or when they do their Facebook Lives or their um, Twitter feeds. You know, it's an opportunity to sell our lovely city today. So if you know of anywhere... A suggestion that we can pass on to Jeff and Vicky. Get it into us, uh, please, in the next hour because they will be talking to us before 12 o'clock uh, today. We'll also have details of this year's Street Feast. Street Feast has been running now for 10 years and this year it's happening on the 5th of May. It's an opportunity for communities and neighbourhoods and streets to get together and a kind of a getting to know you, you know, a kind of a day of partying and just a day to get together and bring that lovely community spirit that we have in this country. We all live busy lives and we're all running around doing various things that sometimes we don't take time to stop and engage with people. You know, you'll wave at the person in number two every morning because you, you pass them as you're, you're heading to work or, you know, you'll smile or nod at them as you're putting in the bin or taking out the bin. But how often do you engage with your neighbours? So if you get involved with this street feast, it's an opportunity for engagement between the uh, neighbours. So we'll give you more details of uh, that. As always, throughout the morning, we welcome your thoughts and comments. 1850 And you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103103. We've already been contacted by Margaret, who is having a problem with her sick certs from the doctor. And she's asked us to put it out there to see if anybody else is having similar problems. She says there is a dispute going on between social welfare and the GPs about the signing of sick certs and because of that it's all to do with payment issues and how much doctors are getting paid for the work that they need to do with uh, sick certs. Now Margaret finds herself in the situation that she's unwell and she's out of work and she was on a monthly cert And she's having problems now with her cert and every time she tries to ring the Department of Social Protection she can't get through. She says this is her interpretation of what's happening is that the doctors are signing a box to say that this is the final cert which means every time Margaret gets a cert she's been signed off. Social welfare are claiming which she did manage to get through that the doctor shouldn't be signing this particular box on the uh, cert but when she says it to her GP the GP says, I have to, I have to sign every single cert and every single cert is a final cert. And because of that, now there's a problem and she's not being paid. And she wants to know, is, are there anyone, is there anybody else in the same situation? And she said, this is to do with new certs. So we did a bit of research on this. Now, we, I, we did find a piece from the Department of Employment Affairs and Social Protection from July of last year that was to do with new forms and new certs. Um, they were introducing new claim forms called uh, a 1B1 and a medical cert called a Med1 for illness and injury benefit. Now in that it says you need to get a completed Med1 cert from your doctor to claim for each additional week that you're ill or injured unless you're told otherwise. So to me that's a weekly cert. But then I found a piece from the end of last year that got media coverage and it was to do with a planned overhaul of sickness benefit scheme which would see workers issued with a single certificate to cover the entire expected period of an illness. Under this new process a person would receive a single sick cert for the complete period. The process would remove the need for ongoing weekly certs while an illness lasted longer than a month. So it would be the doctor would have to predict 
how long the person was going to be out sick, which to me, I can't see how that is actually working. So it would mean basically that every new cert would be a final cert because one cert would be issued. The doctor would take a look at you, would reckon you're going to be out a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks and give you a cert for that period of time. That's my interpretation of it because it seems what was hap- what, what is happening is up to 55,000 people claim illness benefit, benefit at any one time in this country. The scheme costs the government 600 million euro every year. But from the department's point of view, from the paperwork, they get about 1,000 illness benefit claims every working day. So you can imagine the amount of certs they get in. So they obviously were trying to start all these, stop all these weekly certs coming in. So they issued instead one single cert to cover the entire expected period of an illness. So to me, that makes it look like a final cert. Anyway, Margaret's having problems. We haven't heard from anybody else about is it causing issues for anyone else. So we're putting it out there now to see has anybody else, is anybody else having problems with new forms and certs that seem to have come in for when you're claiming illness benefit. Let us know, please. Thank you, Noreen, by WhatsApp saying hi, Patricia and John Paul. Enjoying the show. Thank you for that. A suggestion for the family, whether it's a young couple, uh, is uh, for them to go for a lovely walk through Fitzgerald Park in Cork City. There's lovely lily ponds and plenty of spots for a family uh, picnic and there's a playground there too it says Noreen and with the lovely weather we have Fitzgerald Park would be a lovely suggestion thank you for that Noreen anyone else with suggestions for this couple who are on the train they're going to all over the country visiting all the railway stations but they like to when they get a few hours to try and explore and take a look at the area so we're looking for suggestions they're going to be in Cork City we're looking for suggestions for them to uh, come British Prime Minister Theresa May you wonder what kind of form Theresa May is in today because she will find out if her withdrawal deal has any hope of survival uh, despite accusations that she's now leading Britain towards a blind Brexit this has become the new buzz word that we were hearing yesterday blind Brexit today should have been the day that the United Kingdom was to leave the EU it is a thousand and nine days after the referendum her Brexit vision will stand or fall on a plan put together over the course of eight frantic hours yesterday isn't it just incredible she will bring a fresh Brexit motion to the House of Commons it's part of her bid of course to get the approval for the withdrawal agreement the the Speaker of the House John Burke, who, uh cleared the motion for debate, ruling that it does comply with parliamentary conventions, uh, which bars ministers from asking MPs to vote repeatedly on the same proposal. If passed by the MPs today, the vote then would qualify the UK to be granted an automatic delay. It's just pushing the can down the street to May 22nd, and that will be the formal date of the Brexit. That's and the reason they're going for that is it's before the European elections. The last thing the EU want is for the United Kingdom them to have to run European elections and of course if they're still in after the 22nd of May if they're still part of the club then that's what they're going to have to do they would have to vote in MEPs which would be a complete and utter joke now the vote is likely to fail though this is what some of the commentators in the papers are saying today the DUP they continue to oppose the agreement and that's because it includes the Irish backstop Labour has already declared it will not back the government today warning that it risked the blindest of all blind Brexits. And then, so now what you have is Theresa May trying to convince 50 rebel Tories to change their minds for any chance of her to win today. Boris Johnson, probably one of the 
of the biggest of the rebels and the best known of all of the rebels. He now says he'll back the deal. But then he's also telling friends that the deal is dead in the water, which is kind of thinking, well, Boris, why are you backing it if it's dead in the water? Michael, who has a very keen eye on Brexit, said, Patricia, with a third vote scheduled to take place today on Brexit, I cannot comprehend how the MPs who voted down the withdrawal agreement and the political declaration because it was a bad deal, twice they've done that, can now vote for half of it because they think it's a good deal. To put it mildly, the withdrawal agreement and the political declaration are the two horns of the same goat. Splitting them can cause a legal challenge if one is passed without the other. Where is it now going from here? The plot thickens. And nobody knows, I guess, Michael, nobody knows. Uh, thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. Laura Gelga, RC 103. It's Imor Rugby, a dimmer air in the heron. Vishimar Captain the heron, O Gavi less a trig, the Gavi less a doye. Dertur Gabe on Timor Rugby is far down. Dimmer she, Hankids, Daha the Hankley, he tossed all that. Hankids, the chuck a tree let air hera. For all say, Daha the she, u dare, and sibling Gavi less a hain. Talk her your accent, Shayna Shun, a gorgeous goal, as on Feheshe u de toss girl tiger. Skrall Shay Truck Ud the Kern Heineken on May this mo a score fair air not real. Her Neoko Jiskolma Imoran tournament, a grave mortis, a shena shun, a govi less a shay, govi less a shock, a govi less a nay. Herkishtaki Holland and Lake Rugby and Down Air and Shock to Law Day the Sound, Govi less a hain day. Being Cleha Dernock, a mortis, a shena shun, a govi less a carday, and Cleha Dernock, a dimmer shay, less and very no shunta. Both soldiers school, Ashdor and the Heron, Amy Huberman, Amy Ull, Gavi Lassade, August Tallana from Wanaka, Inin Dorvanam Sadie. The Blora Grail got Grail Closet of East Davis College is Misha Abbey Bernal. And thanks to Teresa in Mallows who's been on to say Patricia let people know that the broadband scammers are doing the rounds looks like they're targeting 022 uh, numbers and Teresa says it comes up looking like it's a local number and of course we know it is not so please be careful Now yesterday during our chat about gridlock in Clonakilty the loss of the town council was highlighted as one of the reasons for ongoing problems in the town Well the Labour Party is now calling on people in towns across Ireland to support the restoration of town councils and to make it an issue in the upcoming local elections to discuss why. I'm joined by Cork East Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, morning, Sean. Uh, I'm very well. You're welcome to the programme. I suppose let's start at the beginning. Remind listeners when and why town councils were abolished. Well, Well, they were scrapped by, by us in government with Fianna Gael in 2014, and that's the, the straight and short answer. Uh, and I think it was the greatest mistake uh, that was made, uh, and we're now trying to rectify that mistake. And I, I, you know, I'm here as a former, you know, town councillor. That's where I, you know, cut my back teeth, if you will, politically, and it was the best experience I ever had. And it's the greatest re- regret that I have that we abolished them while in government. Uh, and because we're now seeing the detrimental effect in towns as a result of the loss of... The and at the time, was there much opposition? Well, I suppose collectively, you make your view known in 
at the time. And I, it's easy for me to say now that I was, you know, opposed internally to the move. But once a collective decision is made, you stand by the collective decision, especially if you're a minister. Uh, but, you know, because, the, you know, there's a majority view. And I think the, the, the logic of, of, you know, abolishing them at the time was that you'd have, you know, uh, you'd move the tier of democracy, so to speak, up to another level and give more power to to Mm. county councillors. But that just clearly hasn't worked. So I would absolutely admit the mistake that was made and acknowledge the mistake that was made and say that we have now introduced legislation, private members' legislation, to try and seek to have the councils restored because what it does is it's just based on common sense. It's based on the premise that, say, for instance, the issues that you were discussing yesterday in Clannacilty, Mallow, Formoy, you know, the towns that previously had uh, town councils, that what you have is a local tier of democracy. You have a, you had the local town engineer, you had the housing office, you, you know, the other officials that were there. And even though they've moved up into the county council structures and they're still the same people and they still do the same job, well, what you had was a greater degree of connectivity between the citizen, the town councillor, and we'll say the official who was working within the, 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 the architecture, if you will, that was the town council or the town hall building. And what it meant was that, for instance, you had a monthly meeting, you could put down your motion. So things like traffic and gridlock and traffic lights and paving, you know, bread and butter issues, housing issues, that they could all be articulated in a forum once a month. But then you would still be working away as a town councillor, trying to get your bits and pieces done when, you know, met people on the street. You know, you still do that anyway. I still do that as a TD. But at least you had a layer of government there so that people could feel that they were they had representation at the most local level. So what we're trying to do now, Patricia, is, is seek to have the local authorities, the town councils, restored. And, and I think one of the reasons for that as well is that what since the new municipal areas have been uh, established, mm-hmm. um, what you have is a smaller number of councillors covering a wider geographical area. So, for instance... I think that's one of the biggest problems with the municipal yeah. district is the... Yeah, they're too big. They're too big. And, like, we had the situation pre- recently where, for instance, we were discussing trying to get funding for the town hall to create the theatre, which was supposed yeah. to be on the cards. For, you know, it's been on the cards since the town hall closed, effectively. And this, is, this is just one example. And you have maybe a councillor 30 kilometres west of Mallow making pronouncements you know, and legitimately so, on on the future of the town hall theatre when, you know, that councillor isn't necessarily, even though they're representing the Mallow area, they wouldn't be from Mallow and wouldn't necessarily have a connection into the town of Mallow. So what we want to do is to have a situation where you have, you know, town councillors in Formoy or where, where you have a population base of 5,000. So this allows you to create new councils as well, aside from those that existed previously. Uh, what you do then is you create, a, you know, the most local form of democracy so that issues like that, bread and butter issues, the very simple issues, have a means to be discussed and that the councillor then is geographically aligned to, you know, more geographically aligned to the area that he or she is representing. I remember at the time Phil Hogan saying that it would save, I think it was 400 million euro. But from from when I knew you were coming on today, I was I was doing a bit of research on this last night. I, that money was never saved, was it? I, to be honest, I, 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 I don't know about the financials and that's giving you a straight answer. But you still have to spend the same amount of money providing services. But so, so I'm not entirely sure. I, I'm not convinced that that money was saved, and I, I, I have never 
you know, going through the estimates on an annual basis for the, you know, the annual budget in October, you know, I, I'm not aware that any monies were actually saved by consolidating um, services or centralising services because you still have the road crews in Cork County Council, mm-hmm. you still have the housing office, you know, you still have all of the services that have to be provided. And, and like, you know, you didn't, nobody lost jobs. What happened was that council staff in St. Mallow, which is the one I can speak, you know, you know, most about because it's the one I've most experience of, like they were subsumed into a, a bigger architecture, if you will. And what you then created was municipal offices where you previously had town clerk. But then you're covering, as I say, a wider geographical area. So the the the, the, the services get spread, you know, they're spread more thinly, if you will, over a wider area. So a local area engineer has to cover a wider area. So it means that the demand, you know, from people, you know, like there's a greater demand for services now. And I, I just think that, you know, if you had the you had the relationships with the local area engineers, with the town hall, you know, it was a very good relationship. People could walk in the door, as they still can with Cork County Council, to be fair, but it was more localised. Uh, and I, I just think that there was a better quality of relationship, if you will, between the officials and the citizens, even though they do a, a great job in, you know, you know, in, in terms of interacting with citizens. Anyway, I just think that what you did was by removing a layer, you know, there is a, I, I think it's harder now to, to, to articulate issues or where, where you have issues, it's harder to get, you know, issues sometimes to get action on those issues if okay. that makes sense so, or response. To, to, because talk to me about the pr- pressure. Okay, talk to me about the practicalities of, of your proposal. I mean, how many town councils would you envisage? Well, you have you have 70, you had 75, 75 town councils yeah. previously. Um, but if you have a population base of, you know, the minimum would be 5,000. Uh, so we don't know exactly, you know, we haven't mapped how many that count, new councils that would create. But certainly, you know, you, at a 5,000 population base, you, you could have nine councillors, you know, and if you're going up to 25,000, then maybe a minimum of, of 15. And what it does then is that you you, you you create the most, like, you you ensure that, for instance, you're not going 30 kilometres west of a town like Mallow, you know, within a larger municipal area, what you're doing is you're bringing it back within, you know, so for instance, if you have a municipal area covering Fermoy and Mitchelton, what you have is a town council in, in Fermoy or Cove or Middleton or Yall, or now look at the population of, you know, places like Carrick Tool, um, you know, you, 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 you've greater expand, expanding population bases and, you know, it's arguable that towns that haven't had councils before could argue for town councils to be established in their areas. Uh, and what you're doing then effectively is you're creating, you're, what you're doing is you're, you're bringing back the structures that existed previously and you're creating the town hall effect. Every town in, in Western Europe has a town hall. It has a place where the citizen can interact. And to the, the larger municipal areas, you know, which are housed within the county council areas, you don't have an identifiable, you know, go-to building or a one-stop shop, if you will, for all of your services. And so that's really what the aim of this is. It would be just to, it's common sense. It's just about restoring that which was already in place. Oh, and, and I can already, it's, it's funny, I can already see a number of people thinking it's a terrific idea. And I did make that point earlier. It was only when it was gone that people realised the importance 
of their oh, town hall, you know, the, the, the chance, the, the, the chance that um, uh, had them. I mean, in, in June of 2017, Fianna Fáil tried to introduce a bill to bring back a town council. So would you have their backing? Uh, well, the, where, the, where it's at at the moment is that it's in committee stage. So what they call it, they call the stage that it's at at the moment is pre-legislative scrutiny. The government has said that they're opposed to it. Now, with, I, with the confidence and supply arrangement, um, the, the question arises now as to whether or not Fianna Fáil would support it on the basis that they're supporting, you know, Fianna Gael policy. Um, but they have stated that they're in favour of the restoration of councils. So on that basis, you would assume that that they would support this legislation, but we are not being partisan about the legislation. Like because what we see about the merits, what we feel are the merits of this legislation is that it can be agreed in a non-partisan way. If Fine Gael support the legislation and they're in government, if Fine Gael support this legislation, then you know it will it will go through, uh, and and that's the bottom line. So what we're doing is calling on government to to give a commitment to restore the councils. I mean, you have situations now, for instance, in Formoy where you don't have a town council, where the weir has absolutely collapsed where the council is looking for 300,000 euros to do, you know, to, to, to commission consultants uh, who will look at the costing of the restoration of the weir and, you know, the fish pass and create the creation of a new fish pass. And you had a situation last night in the town of Formoy, for instance, where the Minister for Finance was down and you had local interests having to, local fishing interests and rowing interests having to go to the minister to ask the minister for €150,000, which is the matching funding that the council already has, to make up the 300000 to pay the consultants to do the report. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. If you had a town council, you know, I mean, first of all, Cork County Council should be paying that 300000 because they own the weir anyway. Um, but it's not right that local fishing interests and rowing interests have to go, you know, begging to the minister for the balance of the funding. I mean, it's just, it, it just beggars belief. And if you had a town council there, well, what you could have is a situation where, where they owned the weir previously or the local authority owned the weir. You know, they would be making, you know, provision for the funding for the cost of that. And then you would be going to the the... the to government then for the cost of the 3.2 million or whatever it is that it's going to cost yeah, to repair the, rest the weir. Of it, yeah, do, yeah. do you know what I mean? I do, so yeah. what you would be doing, Patricia, oh. is you, like what, what it has reduced citizens to now is this idea that they have to go to central government when in actual fact it is the local authority and if there was a town council in place it would be the town council that would be looking after that. Okay. It shouldn't be the case that local fishing interests and local stakeholders should have to go to the minister with cap in hand to look for funding which the town council should have anywhere the county council should Okay, have. and you're asking local people to to bring this up and, and at, at the door when people are canvassing. Make it an election issue. That's it. And just one final issue as well about, like, the whole issue here is that local democracy has been eroded. And I think the Cork Event Centre is just one of those examples as well, where the councillors were kept in the dark in respect of what's going on, in respect of the, you know, the nine million euro loan that is now supposed to be, you know, in play, which the, the taxpayers of Cork will ultimately end up, you know, footing the bill for. But nobody knows. And if you had a layer of democracy, you know, like if, if local democracy was working well, then chief executives or 
they're now chief executives, they used to be county managers, you'd have local managers, they would be far more accountable for, for, for the spend. Okay, and, 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 and just nature. seeing as you've mentioned the city, are you in favour of the directly elected mayor for Cork City? I know it's going to be a plebiscite in the city for about this. Well, I, I put forward an amendment to the legislation uh, in relation to the, uh, the, the, the the hiving over of some of the county territory into the city territory. And one of those, uh, that amendment basically asked for a, a, a mayor for the county of Cork as well. I'm not against to answer the question, I'm not against directly elected mayors at all, uh, but I do believe that uh, my, my own personal view is that Cork City, if Cork City has a directly elected mayor, I don't see why the county of Cork shouldn't have a directly elected mayor. That's my own personal view. Okay. Because, you know, OK, fair enough, you know, a city, you know, traditionally has a mayor, but we now have county mayors as well. And, you know, people... Why shouldn't people in the county not have their own mayor with executive functions? Because you're, it's still all about fixing potholes. It's all about, you know, can you build theatres? Can you build sports grounds, amenities? The same issues apply in the county as they do in the city. So if the city has a mayor, why can't the county have a mayor? OK, on that positive note, we leave it. Uh, Sean, thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Labour Cork East, uh, Dáil Deputy Sean Sherlock. Uh, some of your thoughts in, John, in... Um, John, I don't know where um, the Ian hasn't come in. Anyway, John's contact is to say a great idea to bring back the town councils. But John feels leave politics out of it. He wouldn't have any he wouldn't have any political parties involved. He'd have community involvement and elect a community mayor similar to what they do in Clonakilty. And uh, someone by text says, great idea if town councils were back, they were able to deal with all of the anti-social behaviour that's happening in towns. Uh, the It's got worse since the town council's gone. 1850-333-103. Nick Richards, weekday afternoons from 1. C103. Hi, this is Nick. How would you like to go to the racing home for Easter Festival at Cork Racecourse Mallow? Well, I've got special flexi tickets that could get you in Friday the 19th, Saturday the 20th, or Sunday 21st of April. All you have to do is listen out for my cue to call. Your chance to win a pair of flexi tickets to the Racing Home for Easter Festival at Cork Racecourse Mallow. Weekday afternoons from 1 all this week. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. The Donkey Sanctuary in the announced this week that the world's oldest mule, Tootsie, had passed away at the age of 56. Ashley O'Sullivan is the PR officer at the Donkey Sanctuary. And uh, Ashley joins me. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Thanks for having me well, on. Well, you're very welcome. Okay, what happened to Tootsie? Was it just old age? Yeah, it was really, um, Patricia. Now, he had lived really well and it was hale and hearty in, in the run-up to his, his, his passing. And um, he was in good form, but a few weeks before he passed away, his appetite started to go. Um, so our veterinary team took, took some blood tests on him here and um, some liver uh, problems started showing up in those yeah. blood tests that his liver was starting to fail and really it was his age was then against him yeah. you know something yeah. was going to happen at some stage so Lawrence O'Sullivan here who's our chief veterinary surgeon he put him on some liver support medications and supplements 
and the team very closely monitored him and they minded him and looked after him as they always would but unfortunately he wasn't responding Lawrence was doing a lot of blood tests and, and nothing was happening so because his age was against him and the fact that he wouldn't actually get better the very difficult decision was made to put Tootsie to sleep Is that heartbreaking for everybody involved Ashley? It is really like you know he had an excellent life. He had a good yeah. life here with us. But it, it is a very difficult decision to make, you know, and Lawrence would have spoken with the team in, in the veterinary area and he would have spoken with the guys on the farm and all of that and they would have come to the decision together. But at the same time, Patricia, and it's a, like anyone would know, with their cat or their dog well, or anything like that. We've all it, gone through it. We've all much, gone yeah, through it. And, yeah. you know, it's hard to make the decision, but the animal's welfare is paramount yeah. and key. And if they can't have quality of life, the best decision to make, even though as hard as it is, is to put them to sleep. Absolutely. And you certainly don't want us to, to see him in, no. in pain. OK, t- talk to me about uh, Tootsie. What kind of a mule was he and, and how long was he living with you? Oh, he was a fine fellow. Uh, So Tootsie would have been born in 1962, so he would have actually turned 57 this year. And he came to the sanctuary in 1992 from uh, the Wicklow area. Um, His owner just simply couldn't look after him anymore and got in contact with the sanctuary to see if we could help. So at that point, he came to us. And um, up till the last few years, he was living amongst the general herd up at Hannigan's farm. And then in the last few years, as he got older, he moved in with the the group we call the super grannies here. (laughs) They'd be more elderly donkeys. They've got extra special needs. Maybe their teeth aren't so good, so they have to be on special soft, nutritious feed. They might have hoof problems, so they're bedded down on shavings rather than straw. Um, Their coats aren't as thick as the other ones. They don't thicken naturally in the winter like a young donkey would, and they might be wearing their their, their actual rug for a lot of winter, and they bed down under infrared lamps. So he joined that group, but he was a feisty fellow. Up until last summer, even, I remember seeing him tearing around the fields above in Hannigan's, <laughs> having a great old time. He was very independent, very feisty. He took no nonsense from anybody, donkeys, mules or anyone, and he would be first to the trough. And it was actually quite funny because he wasn't a big mule. He wasn't very tall, as we'll say. And um, he was he really made his presence felt. He was a great old character. Ah, so he'd be really missed. He I, is yeah. really missed. He really is. You know, I, everyone... You, Everyone knew Tootsie and even people who come on work experience here and people have called us and they've said, we heard about Tootsie, you know, and I remember for him from five years ago, from 10 years ago, you know, all our volunteers, our staff, our supporters, they were all aware of him because he was such a great age. Everyone was very fond of him. And was he officially the oldest mule or was he one of the oldest mules in the world? As far as we know, he would have actually been the oldest. Um, generally mules live 35 to 40 years Wow, you um, went well if, past it Yeah, but if they are looked after well yeah. and they have a good life, we'll say in terms of health they can live to 50, but he still lived a good bit beyond he did, that he did. We yeah. were just making that point yesterday here in the office when we were talking about it, saying it just proves when an animal is loved and well looked after they can live to ripe old ages That's 
true, that's true. And in fairness now, Patricia, I have to say, as you know, yourselves included, we've excellent supporters out there who were great supporters of the sanctuary. And, you know, thank you to everyone who has given and supported us. As we are a charity, we're dependent on donations and we have a good, good crew behind us who help us look after the donkeys and mules. And I love this idea of the retirement section almost for the, I know, for the older I know. And it's very cute. <laughs> it's very cute as well. And even now on our open farm, we have a group of older donkeys who are here down behind the visitor centre and they'd be donkeys who are older than 20. Generally, again, they'd have special needs, but they are here on the open farm if anyone would like to come and visit them and our staff are only delighted to talk about them. And is that, is 20 old for a donkey? It is, it is in is donkey it? years. It is. But like, we have donkeys. We have donkeys in their 40s who are still in, in great oh, nick. Wow. But sometimes it depends on a donkey's history as well, Patricia. You know, if, if their teeth weren't looked after when they were young and that they can have problems with their teeth and they need to be on special feed or if their hooves weren't looked after they can have problems with their hooves. So we'll say we, we term over 20 as being elderly but sometimes, you know, elderly for donkeys here in their 40s they can be grand as well. You know, it does depend on the individual donkey. And when... When Tootsie arrived, Tootsie had been well looked after for the 30 yes. years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that's, Tootsie had a good life. Yeah, that's different to some yes. of the condition, some of the the animals arrive in dreadful conditions. Yes, very yeah. much so, very much so. And, and we still see some of it like we could be contacted maybe about a single donkey or a group of donkeys that somebody has a concern about and, and they could be concerned maybe about long hooves where the hooves have grown so long that they're curling up. Um, and looks like painful. a Turkish slipper. Very painful for a donkey. And, um, you know, like a lot of people don't know, the donkeys actually originated in the Middle East and in Africa, and their native conditions is very dry. A donkey's hoof has a lot more, a higher water content than a horse would. So the wet conditions in Ireland don't suit the hooves. So we'll say for anyone who's having donkeys, we'd always recommend that as well as having their area of grazing, that they have an area of hard standing to help keep the donkey's hooves in check. So that they don't cur- cur- yes. curl up yes, like so that. They don't And grow. you should always have um, donkeys in pairs, shouldn't you? They, well, yes, they, they like are. To be. They are. They love, they're very social animals. Yeah. They're extremely intelligent and they love their bodies. So when, when we rehome donkeys from, from the sanctuary, they're rehomed in pairs so that they have each other, that yeah. they do have their good friend with them. OK, somebody has a question. Jim McClannacilty says, what is the legend of the cross on the donkey's back? Do all oh, donkeys yeah. have a cross on their that's back? Very, that's a very interesting question, actually. Not all donkeys will. It's actually to do with the, ha- the way the hair grows on the back and it appears then as a cross. Now, I know there would be legend around it. Obviously, there is a, you know, in the Christian community and that there would be a lot of significance of the donkey to the likes of the Holy Family around yeah. Christmas time and the donkey bringing, you know, Jesus into into um, Jerusalem, I think it was in Easter week. And people, you know, there are legends that people say the cross appeared on the donkey after that but it is actually related to hair growth. But, like, there's lots of legends around donkeys. In in Germany, in, day, in times gone by, they believed a kiss from a donkey would cure a toothache. <laughs> uh, you know, donkeys are with us so long, and they came to this part of the world um, with the Romans that there are lots of stories and lots, lots of legends in different cultures and different religions around donkeys. Yeah, and you're coming in. How many animals do you have at the moment? We have, we we're always kind of between 1700 and 1800 God, in our care. That's incredible, isn't it? From when Paddy first started the sanctuary. I know, I know. <laughs> but actually, since 1987, we have rescued, rehabilitated, and rehomed over 5,600 donkeys oh, that's and mules. 
That's amazing. That is really amazing. But again, thanks to our supporters, yeah, Patricia. It can't be done. It can't it can't be done with it without the support. Yeah. And you're coming in obviously to busy season, busy time of the year. Busy time of the year. We had a great season last year because um, at the visitor centre here because the weather was so brilliant. We had many, many groups come and visit us down here and we welcome anyone to come and visit us. We're open all year round to see the work that we do firsthand. The guys as well are very busy out on the road, the welfare team obviously, you know, investigating um, different queries from the public and also helping with our donkey welfare improvement scheme where we help donkey owners um, if they need advice or have queries around farriery, castrations, dentistry, all of that. We're doing our very best to help people with their own donkeys out in the homes as well. You do you do terrific work. Long may it continue. Jim in uh, Newmarket said, so sorry to hear about the passing of Tootsie. Well done to all of the staff at the Donkey Sanctuary. I was in the building of the Donkey Hospital in Hannigan's Farm oh, and I saw firsthand the care that the animals uh, get. Thank you for that, Jim. OK, we leave it there, Ashley. Thank you for that and thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you for your time, Patricia. Uh, Thank our you very pleasure. Much. Bye bye, bye bye. That is Ashleen uh, O'Sullivan, PR officer at the Donkey Sanctuary in the Scarlet outside of Mallow. If you have never been, put it on your bucket list. It's a lovely, lovely place to go. Let's take a break. We have news at 11 o'clock on the way. In the next hour, we have concerns for Cove because of a decision made in Dublin to have the number of cruise liners coming into Dublin. And we'll also catch up with the couple who are on a journey to visit every train station in Ireland. The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork. So, if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting, send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie. The Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. If you are out and about doing some shopping in Mallow this morning, could you spend some time and pop into Horgan's Pharmacy at the Tesco Car Park because they're running a coffee morning and it's in aid of the St Mary's Alzheimer Day Centre in Mallow. So that's a coffee morning in aid of the Alzheimer Centre in Mallow at Horgan's Pharmacy in Tesco. Uh, good luck to everybody there. And thank you to a lot of people sending in suggestions for Jeff and uh, Vicky, the couple who are travelling around the entire island of Ireland and they're going to visit every single train station. They are in Cork today and they have a lovely, lovely day uh, for it and uh, people are sending in some really good suggestions which we will pass on to Jeff and uh, Vicky later on. Some of the ones, somebody says, send them to the old Cork jail. Charlie says, actually I thought of that as well. I think that's a, a terrific couple of hours if you want to place to visit and you're in the city. Dean in Rochestown says if they're here for the evening, I don't know if they're here for the night or not or whether they're moving on. He says the nightlife in the city centre is great. There are unique bars and it's a great place to have a night out, says Dean. Averill in Bishopstown says tend to check out the Mardike 
uh, Mary Amala was on with the list. She says, send them to Shandon, to St. Finbar's Cathedral, tell them to go take a look at the Shaky Bridge, the Black Rock Conservatory. And she said, even just to stand and look at the City Hall, because that is such a beautiful building. So Mary Amala, proud of the wonderful city that we have. We will be talking to them later on this hour. I'm told that they're dividing and conquering. Vicky is going to be in Blarney when we speak with them. And uh, Jeff is going to be on the Cork uh, Greenway. So we look forward to chatting to them a little bit later on. Now, also coming into us, oh, we're going to be talking about Cove and the effect on liners if there are less cruise liners coming into Cove. And I was making the point of how important these cruise liners are because to the area, because the money that's spent when the passengers disembark and then they spend their day in the local uh, area. John is from Cove and he disputes what I say when I say that the passengers spend money in Cove because he, having lived in Cove, sees the passengers get off the boat. He says the passengers that stroll around Cove don't spend any money in Cove said an odd glass of water here or there but he says what happens is the majority of people that get off the cruise liners are bussed out of town and when they go elsewhere away that's where they spend their money but the people who just get off the ship and just have a stroll around Cove and get back on they don't spend any money because they're close enough to the ship and of course all of those cruises are all inclusive so they can pop back onto the boat for lunch or afternoon tea or to have their dinner or whatever and that he feels that Cove doesn't make money except for the port of court uh, the port of Cork will make money obviously because there's fees when the liner is dark and then the tour bus companies they're making money and other areas make money but not Cove uh, itself which is uh, an interesting point from somebody who lives in uh, Cor- in Cove and says uh, Jeff and Vicky tell them to visit the Crawford Art Gallery yeah that's a stunning stunning art gallery thank you for that uh, um, we spoke about Tootsie and the fact that Tootsie is 56 born in 1962 and Tootsie the oldest mule in the world has sadly passed away. Mary says, Trish, I'm the same age as Tootsie. The teeth aren't what they used to be. Could do with a bit of TLC. Is there any room in that granny section of Liscarroll for me? Seriously, though, says Mary, my sympathies to the staff uh, in Liscarroll. They do amazing work. They do. They absolutely do. And I thought it was lovely because I wasn't aware that there's a kind of a retirement section that's have it on Hannigan's farm at the donkey sanctuary I wasn't aware of that and I loved the way Ashleen described the retirement section for the older animals where Tootsie had, had seen out his days and you know the fact that they've got softer bedding they have coats on them for longer so that they won't feel the cold the fact that with their teeth they mightn't have the best teeth in the world because they're getting a bit older so a softer diet uh, for them and even the infrared lamps at night on a cold night I just thought it sounded idyllic doesn't it I could see Mary while you're wondering would there be any room at the inn in the granny section uh, for you thank you for your text it certainly made me smile this morning uh, Sandy was listening to my piece with Sean Sherlock about reinstate the town councils and in fairness he fessed up straight away uh, Sean Charlotte did when I asked him to start by reminding us why we lost our town councils and Labour was in government at the time that that decision was made Sandy said a resolution at the time of Fianna Gael Fianna Fáil confidence and supply agreement is political waffle uh, Labour Fianna Gael dissolved the councils this is an election gimmick 
pure and simple, says Sandy. It's like Joan Burton destroying women's pension entitlements and Labour braying on about the hardships it's causing, knowing full well it was their policy caused it, says uh, Sandy. And I take it that that that's the decision on the old age pensioners and the way it was changed in 2012. I imagine that's one of the things that the Labour Party to this day and will always be very embarrassed about because it kind of goes completely against the ethos of the Labour Party that you would target a group of older people and in particular it was women women in, in the main and actually Sandy I'm glad you've mentioned it because I've been sitting on this piece for ages and I've been meaning to uh, to do it over the last few weeks and just never got a chance to do it because we know that there are reviews being conducted and we know that decision has been reversed there's been a change to the way pension entitlements are assessed there's a change that came in in 2012 and the current government has decided it was, wasn't it described as a bonkers decision or something at uh, one stage and we were told to women hang in there and men there isn't men as well but it's more more women that reviews are underway because each individual case needs to be reviewed the review is taking forever I have to say now three in four people who have had their pension entitlements reviewed were found to have been hit with an, an, anom- an anomaly in that they have been shortchanged so that's the good news that the ones that have been reviewed the majority are being told yes you are going to get extra money but to date just now this is a couple of weeks old this piece so we're assuming a few more you could add a few more onto this but not many more because the reviews are taking so long uh, over 6,000 people have had their cases reviewed and the government estimates it'll be another four months before all the reviews are done. The Department of Social Protection said 81% of the reviews completed but that was just over 6,000 people up to the middle of this month received a boost in their weekly payment. The fix means that some pensioners will be entitled to a weekly increase of €35 and that's a lot extra to get every week. People also, by the way, are in line to have the money backdated to March of 2018 or to when they reached their 66th birthday when they would have been claiming their old age pension. So people will be in this, particularly if you got at the top end, if you're assessed and you're entitled to an extra €35, technically you could have almost over a year over 52 weeks of 35 euros that's going to be a nice little bit of a back payment for some I'm not saying everyone's going to get that but for the ones that it's assessed it is going to be backdated to March of 2018 so that's important as well for people who are getting very frustrated because their review hasn't been done yet. Kind of look on it like a saving. You will get uh, the money eventually. Around 86,000 people have identified as potentially affected by the uh, anomaly, which is to say was, was at one stage described as bonkers and unbelievable. And this it all started because of the way pensions were assessed after the 1st of September 20. 2012 and it was to do with the number of contributions from when you started work up to when you finished work and we had that ridiculous situation of somebody who could have started work as a teenager, worked for a number of years and then got married maybe due to a marriage bar was forced to give up their job or had families and raised their children and then went back to work and continued working maybe for another 20-30 years and when they went to get their pension they discovered that they didn't have the average number of pension, number of stamps uh, needed and they could have been working beside somebody who only worked for say the last 20 years who didn't start work young and they would come out with a full pension. It, it really was crazy. But anyway, I'm glad to mention it because 
I know that there are because we've been contacted over the years by a number of people, mainly women, but there are men as well, who got caught up in that 80, what is it, 86,000 uh, people. And of course, every year that number was rising. According to these people, we got to the age of 66 and people only found out about it when they went to apply for their pension and they realised that this change had been made and this change was affecting people. So just to let people know you haven't been forgotten about you, particularly if you got one of the letters to say you're going to be uh, reviewed. It is just taking longer than was anticipated because each individual case needs to be uh, reviewed. I know there was talks of bringing in extra staff which hopefully they've done to, in order to try to speed up the process and get it sorted out sooner rather than later. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 C103 Jobs. We've got a plasterer wanted for the North Cork uh, area and a relief preschool staffer is required for Bandon, Dunmanway and Skibbereen area. Spec savers there in Bandon are looking for persons for full and part-time customer service positions and retail sales assistants are wanted in the Mill Street uh, area. You'll find all the job opportunities and all the details and more job opportunities online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. C103, the River Lee and the Echo bring you the Cork City Sports Athletics Award. Athletics Award. Every month, a panel of sporting experts will give recognition to an outstanding Cork athlete. Cork athlete. The latest award winner is Alex Wright from Leavale AC for winning two international walk titles, the Andalusia 10K and the indoor 5,000 metres in Bratislava. The Cork City Sports Athletics Award with the River Lee and the Echo and C103. And I give a quick mention to Ireland's Got uh, Talent. We're at the semi-final stage of Ireland's Got Talent and this is where people vote for your favourite act. I had a message last night asking me to give a shout out to a group of young gymnastics. Now I remember seeing them on the show. They're absolutely superb. They are gymnastics from Balancholic called Rebel Acro. Um, I saw them on the on the night that they were on and they were just on. You were looking at them thinking, how are they doing some of the gymnastics that they were doing, tossing young people up in the air? It was unreal. I think they were from 10 to 18 year olds in the group that were on TV on that night. Anyway, they got through and then they've been selected to go through to the live uh, semi-final. Now, the live semi-final, well, the first of the live semi-finals, I don't know how many semi-finals there are, is going to be held on Sunday night in Rebel Acro. The Balancholic gym, gym, Gymnasts uh, will be on on uh, Sunday night and obviously they will be looking for local people to please support them. So keep a lookout for Rebel Acro from Balancholic in Ireland's Got Talent, the live show uh, which is on on Sunday night. Now due to an increase in cargo volumes, Dublin Port is planning to cut the number of cruise liners from 172 last year to just 80 in 2021. Fianna Fáil candidate for Ireland South, Deputy Billy Kelleher, is concerned about the possible impact of this decision for Cove Harbour. And he joins me. Good morning to you, Billy. Good morning. Uh, and, and you're welcome to the programme. Now, do the majority of cruise ships stop in Dublin Port before docking in Cove? And is that where your concern is coming from? Well, the concern would be that they would have a scheduling system in place where cruise liners would um, set out their uh, schedule years in advance. Uh, very often they may call to uh, 
two ports uh, near each other. So you could, in effect, have a situation if uh, capacity is reached in Dublin that they may no longer look at Ireland as a location uh, for, 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 for cruise liners uh, berthing and uh, discharging their, um, their passengers. So it is an issue of concern, and this issue has been raised with us. Uh, I did visit uh, Dublin Port to see firsthand um, what they're doing in terms of the expansion. But if they do um, cut the number of liners, it could have an impact on cruise liners visiting other ports in Ireland, and obviously predominantly uh, Cove itself. So it is something that I hope um, they can look at, that they can reschedule, work with the companies, work with the other ports uh, on the island of Ireland, can they come up with some way of ensuring that we don't uh, lose what is a, a wonderful asset in terms of tourism uh, and the boost that it economically brings to uh, the regions like South Munster uh, and Dublin itself in terms of the docking in Dublin Port. But if Dublin can't cater for the number of cruise ships, could they not come straight to Cove? Well, this is the point I'm making. Uh, at least we don't want to lose them to uh, Ireland. So if there are difficulties with the capacity in uh, Dublin. What I'm saying is rather than they just sort of, you know, informing the cruise liners that they can no longer come to uh, Dublin, that they would try and accommodate them elsewhere. So in other words, we would try and keep the cruise liner business, but make sure that if they can go to Dublin, that they at least will dock mm-hmm. elsewhere on the island of Ireland. And of course, Cove being a place where, um, you know, um, we have 103 liners coming in this year. But, um, you know, you need capacity. You need to ensure that there's a scheduling program in place for many years in advance. They, these companies, you know, have a, a, a long lead in time in terms of planning for bookings and things like that. So all in all, uh, we do need to work with the companies. And I think just the, the arbitrary decision by Dublin Port to say that they're going to cut the number of liners uh, could impact on cruise liner companies looking at other countries as opposed to Ireland itself. Yeah, because I was reading online last night, I mean, of one cruise liner company has already chosen Liverpool as an alternative to Dublin. I mean, and they're the kind of concerns you have. Yes, they're the concerns. So very quickly, all of us could have a situation where they are scheduling, then wouldn't allow them to get from one port to the other port in a timely manner. And they may not longer look at Ireland as a location for docking. So if they go to Liverpool, um, you know, they may decide not to come uh, to the south uh, vis-a-vis uh, Cove as well. So it is a worrying uh, development and uh, I will be in contact with, with Dublin Port to see whether or not they can accommodate uh, the cruise liner companies, uh, rescheduling, working with them to ensure that if they can't make Dublin, that at least uh, they will uh, look at uh, a Cove, Cove instead. Uh, yes, isn't, isn't there talk of a second cruise berth in Cove? But again, as I said, there's 103 uh, cruise liners coming to uh, Cove this year, so it's a huge number. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, you know, three a week during the summer season, uh, maybe even four a time. So it is, uh, it is reaching nearly capacity as well in, in the harbour. So I think that we would want to look at that particular option of expanding the berthing capacity in Cove so that, you know, cruise liners, a couple of them may uh, or should be able to um, disem- disembark their... Um, there are people on board at the same time. Uh, and that in itself might address some of the issues where they could just target Cork itself and Cove rather than looking at Dublin uh, as, as a place to birth at the present time. So what I'm saying, we need the cruise liners to work with the ports. We need uh, the, the government uh, to support maybe invest investment in Cork Harbour to ensure that we have additional birthing um, capacity on the Keys. And Dublin Port should still, I think, revisit its decision 
to cut the number of, of liners visiting Dublin because it does send out a, a poor signal uh, internationally about Ireland uh, in terms of attracting cruise liners, which is a very profitable business. Um, you know, it, it does support a lot of jobs during the summer, uh, investment into the regions. If you look at Cork itself, for example, you have the Jemison, you have Blarney, uh, they go further afield to Blarney and elsewhere. So there's a good spin-off uh, from these people who live there's in the a, There is a huge economic benefit. I saw uh, yesterday this All-Ireland Cruise Ship Action Group that has been set up. I mean, they're calling directly on the government uh, to find a way to facilitate both cargo and cruise ships at, at Dublin Port. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that's a group that you'd very much support. Yes, I, I think like we have to be imaginative. I mean, the idea that you could actually, uh, you know, cut the number of cruise liners without actually looking at alternatives in terms of capacity... Uh, not only in Dublin Port, but elsewhere on the island of Ireland as well. So they're, they're going to have to look at that. You know, you could say Waterford for smaller um, vessels. You know, there's this huge potential along the, the coastline for us to ensure that we keep the business that you can't go to Dublin to go elsewhere. OK, and of course, the real concern is if cruise operators remove Ireland from their itineraries, it's hard to win back that business. Yes, you see, we spent years um, and... Uh, the Port of Cork and others have spent years uh, attracting and encouraging cruise liners. Now, we have a very good name internationally. Uh, Cove is a sought-after destination by cruise liners. Um, all the indications from research show that people really do uh, enjoy their trip to Cove and into the Munster region when they disembark. So the idea that we would actually make no effort uh, to uh, find alternatives other than just saying to cruise liners, you can't go to Dublin, uh, I, I think is just the, the wrong message to send out. Um, and I think we have an obligation both the government, Dublin Port and the others working together with the cruise liners to find alternative scheduling so that we can increase the number of um, cruise liners coming to this, to this island, making sure that Ireland is seen as a destination. And Brexit, we've already seen a decline in tourist numbers from Britain. So it is vital that we look after um, our other markets more than ever. Well, yes, and particularly uh, like the... Um, you know, with the devaluation of sterling over the last uh, number of years since uh, the uh, Brexit debate started, uh, we have the uncertainty still hanging around us today, even in the context of the House of Commons vote, whether or not um, they will be leaving on time, whether they'll be crashing out. All of these things are still up for debate very much so. And it is uh, incumbent, I think, on everybody, you know, when you have um, companies that are promoting Ireland, saying that Ireland is a great place to visit, and they bring in thousands of passengers at a time on cruise liners that we should be embracing that, encouraging it and um, you know, not sending out messages that uh, they're unwelcome because of, of capacity issues in one particular port. Okay, and before we let you go, as I mentioned in the introduction, you are now a, a Fianna Fáil candidate for uh, Ireland uh, South uh, when you were added uh, to the ticket to contest the European elections. Were you disappointed, Billy, to have been defeated at the selection convention? And I know it was only by eight votes, but was that a disappointment to you? Well, look, I mean, every time you you, you into, into the field or a competition, you, you, you want to come out on, on, on top. Um, the, the, the difficulty, of course, was that there was geographical challenges. Uh, it was in Clammel, large areas of, uh, you know, the, the, west, the west of Munster, for example. Uh, it would be a two-and-a-half-hour journey plus. It was a long weekend, 16th of March. So there was many reasons. Look, at the end of the day, um, it was a close contest. I came out on the wrong side of it, but um, we have to have two candidates. So there's always going to be a Munster candidate and um, a Leinster candidate. So uh, the party then moved to um, uh, to balance the ticket regionally and geographically. So I was selected in uh, last week. So I'm actually out here in Wilson Shopping Centre at the moment, canvassing. How's it, go- um, how's it going? 
Well, look, it's a very warm reception, I have to be honest, which is a very raw, warm reception. I think, yeah, obviously, it's early days. People aren't fully engaged with, with the fact that there's a local European election. But they are very, very conscious, I suppose, of the importance of Europe, particularly around the issue of Brexit. Mm. And, and that, I think, is just has a lot of people on edge uh, in terms of business investment, job creation, job losses, the risk of the economy. All of these things are, um, I think, on people's minds when you, when you talk to them about, about the big issues. And, of course, you have the local elections as well. So people are engaged on, um, you know, the issues affecting their communities, their roads, um, schools, parks, libraries. So all in all, it's going to be an exciting eight weeks for the candidates themselves. But I think just for um, everybody involved in electioneering of all parties and none, and um, the public themselves, so we can engage, um, listen to people, talk to people. And um, uh, hopefully on the day, um, they'll see me as an already candidate in Europe and... That's what I must convince the electorate of in the, the next eight weeks. And other candidates will be doing uh, the best to convince them that I'm not. But uh, that's, 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 well, that's and positive. just uh, just on on Brexit because obviously there's an extra seat in Ireland South now because of Brexit. Even though Brexit is still very much up in the air, what happens if the United Kingdom are still in the EU and they have to enter the European elections? What happens to the additional seat for Ireland South? Well, what happens is there's one will become a substitute uh, MEP, so it will revert to a four four members of parliament will be elected to uh, to Brussels, and the fifth will not actually take up a seat uh, if UK uh, have not left by um, by by the the, the term. So um, there will be a substitute. Then, if Britain do decide to leave, they they withdraw their MEPs, and the fifth candidate uh, then will take up that additional seat. So there'll be more than likely, unless there's major changes, but the legislation was passed as all recently, there will be uh, a five-seat four definitively going to Brussels. Uh, the fifth uh, still, we're unsure due to the fact that Brexit is uh, up in the air yeah. and major decisions have been made between now and the 12th of um, April. OK, and, and, uh, and we're, we're keeping a close eye on the House of Commons. The, the vote hasn't taken place yet, but oh. their, their speculation already coming from Sky is that she, it's, she's, she's not going to get it through. Anyway, we'll wait and see. Listen, Billy, we'll let you get back to the Thank canvassing. You. Thank you for that. Thank and you. Uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Deputy Billy Keller, Keller, who is now also the Fianna Fáil candidate for uh, Ireland uh, South. The perceived vote, this is speculation from Sky, for Theresa May, uh, is that she'll get two 256 to vote for the deal but 371 will uh, vote against her. I'm assuming she's still as we speak behind the scenes trying to convince and change the minds of the Tory rebels. She needed 50. She needed to change the minds of 50 but the speculation at the moment is that that's not happening. We know that the, the DUP are um, had or had said that they were opposed to the opposed to the agreement. And the latest in the DUP, our stance that the party cannot back a deal that does not produce the union still stands and is our position. That's coming from a DUP spokesperson in the last few minutes. So the DUP are continuing to oppose uh, the agreement, and that is all to do with the Ireland at uh, the backstop. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp oh eight six two. 
103 103. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. We spoke last Monday to a train-loving couple. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We just started a three-week journey that will see them travel to every single railway station in Ireland and Northern Ireland. They've made it to Cork and to chat about how the first week is going, I'm joined by Vicky Pipe and I was also hoping to be joined by uh, Jeff Marshall. But Vicky, I have bad news for you. We've lost Jeff. Oh no! <laughs> I hope we find him again. Find he's just. Him again by the end of the day. Well, he's having so much fun. He's not answering his phone. But John Paul in the background <laughs> is furiously uh, redialing and redialing. Okay, you've hit, you've hit Cork and you decided to divide and conquer. You're in Blarney. We have. Yes, well, I'm just waiting for the bus to get to Blarney actually. Okay. But yes, and then Jeff was heading off to the Cork Greenway. So yeah, perhaps he's having. Too much fun along the green. <laughs> Maybe he is, and I know, I know from following you, you are a fan yes. of castles. Oh my goodness, I am Patricia. I do love a good castle, and Ireland has so many wonderful castles to look at, uh, which is why I'm heading over to, to Blarney uh, this morning. Will you kiss the Blarney stone? I feel like I, I sh- if I go and I don't do it, I feel like I'll be missing out. So I think I'll have to give it a go. I'll have to give it a go. Do you have any tips? Is it is it a bit dangerous? Well, I know. <laughs> I, I'll first off, I haven't done it. I've I've watched okay. others do it. Right. I would encourage yes. I would encourage you to do it. And you know okay. the you know the history behind it that if you kiss it, it gives you the gift of the gab. It does. Which which. You know, I feel like I've got quite good gap, but maybe maybe a little bit more. A little bit more might be needed for our YouTube videos. So I think the gift of the gab is very welcome. Okay, you have to do it. Now, I've got to say, weather-wise, you have oh had God. such a terrific week from a, from a weather point of view. It has been sublime. It really has. Um, a lot of people said before we left for our journey, you know, better take your rain jacket. Uh, and that, that has just been sort of wiped away. We've just had such glorious sunshine. We were down in the wonderful cove yesterday, just outside Cork. We were there by the harbour. The sun was shining. It was just exquisite, really exquisite. Did you go to the Titanic exhibition? Uh, we, we did have a look, yes. Yeah. We had a look at the Titanic. And then there's also, I didn't realise, uh, linked to the Lusitania as well. And yeah. we walked up to the 
to the top of the cathedral, Cove. It's such, such a beautiful place. Yeah, it, it is really beautiful. The good news is we have located Jeff. He's on the other line. Yes. Good morning, <laughs> Jeff. We were putting an SO, we were putting an SOS out for you. We thought you were you were gone missing. You're on the Cork Greenway. Uh, I don't, well, I'm I'm trying to find it right now. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not easy, but I'm I'm somewhere out in the wilds. Okay. And I will locate it okay. and take pictures. Yes, hello. <laughs> okay, well, good to have you on board. The the reaction, uh, Jeff, so far on social media to, to your trip to Ireland? I beg your pardon? Sorry. What's the reaction on social media been so far? Yeah, no, it's great. We were at, um, we were at Kent Station uh, this morning and an excited chap uh, that had been following us just ran up to us and someone else, because he'd seen us, and he was like, I saw your picture on, you know, on Instagram, and I knew that you were here, so I came to find you. So, uh, yeah, you have, we have people that, that definitely are following us and tracking our progress, and, and they're excited to meet us. Someone left us a bag of uh, goodies, including including some Barry's tea, of course, <laughs> this morning. So we're now we're well stocked up on Barry's, which I hear. It sounds like I'm promoting them, but I'm not. I'm just, I just I hear that it's popular. <laughs> but you see, but you see, we want you to promote Barry's tea because Barry's tea is a Cork tea. Yeah. It's been made yeah. in Cork by the Barry family, still within the Barry family. It is the best tea in Ireland. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's amazing how it gets people like all fired up. We did a poll on Twitter, like a vote, saying what's best, Barry's or Lyon. And people were, like fiercely coming out in defence of Barry. It was amazing. <laughs> but they're Cork people, you know. I mean, it, it's, I, 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 I would gather so. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 a it's a sin. It's nearly a mortal sin to drink Lion's tea when you're in Cork. So stick with the Barry's tea. I had to put uh, Vicky because her phone was going. She's back with us. Her phone sounded like oh, she was no. on a train. Are you back with us? I don't know what was I'm, happening. I'm, I'm back with you. I'm back with you. Okay. All right, Vicky. How many how many train stations so far? Oh my goodness, uh, that is a great question. Um, if you check out our website, you can see our progress. I think we're around the sort of 40 mark, 40, 50 mark at the moment. I think it's, four, um, I think it's 49. 49, 40. there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so on our website, we have a little progress map. Um, and so every morning at 10 o'clock, it updates to tell you where we got to the day before. Um, so yeah, so 49... Um, it's it's been such a, a joy to travel around on the railways, and it and it, it sort of in a way it feels like we've we've done more than that because we've seen so much already, even in just the first five days. And Jeff, how do Irish trains differ to the trains in in the UK? Because you did this same all the stations uh, in two years ago, where you did England, Scotland, and Wales. Yeah, so without wishing to sound sort of, you know, patronising, the, the British network is much more complicated. So, so but what the, the beauty about the Irish network being more simplified is that the trains are more on time because, because there's kind of less to go wrong. So we've only had one train that's been a little bit delayed and all the others have run perfectly to time, which I'm sure if Irish Rail are listening, I'm, I'm sure they'll, they'll, they'll be uh, very happy to hear that. And it's kind of, it's, it's a very kind of quiet, pleasant, sedate experience. I think sometimes on a train in London, it can get a little bit noisy or a little bit rowdy, but everyone, everyone in here is just very pleasant and quiet, and everybody just, just kind of like enjoys enjoys the, the 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 trip and, of course, the beautiful scenery out of the window. I, yeah, I, I I think Vicky's after getting on to her boss. Oh, no. Are you on your boss, Vicky? 
I am now. Yeah, she's now she's okay. Yeah. I, I heard her say, and I, I put her very quickly on hold. I heard her say Blarney, so she's, she's negotiating her trip to Blarney. Actually, actually, on that point, um, uh, Vicky, explain yeah. how, how the trip is funded, and 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 train journeys yeah. can be expensive. Uh, they they certainly can. Um, so we funded our trip wonderfully through um, a Kickstarter. So it's crowdfunded. So over a thousand people um, contributed various donations, anything from a pound to five pounds to twenty-five pounds uh, to make the trip happen. Uh, the train tickets that we have they're called Irish uh, Irish Rail Explorers. I think. Let me Explorer. just double check by looking. Explorer. Yeah, the Irish yeah. Explorer ticket. And so it allows you um, to travel any five days within a 15-day period. Um, and you can go literally anywhere on the uh, Erin Road Erin network for that. So those are the tickets that we have. And, and as you say, it can be quite expensive to travel by train, but, but those are the best kind of and you do a lot of traveling like we are. Yeah, and it's 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 the it's the best um it's the best um Jeff, it's the best value ticket, isn't it? For for especially yeah, what you guys are doing. Yeah, there's another one as well called called the Irish Rail Tracker that allows four days in a row, but we're doing the one that allows you five out of fifteen. And you literally just write in the date. And it's only it's only hundred and sixty euros. Um and suddenly I I I can't divide 160 by five, but that's, I, I really am struggling to do that in my head. It's, about it's just a little, little over 30 yeah. euro, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really that's great value. value. Yeah, that, great, yeah. That, 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 that is good value. I saw your live Facebook feed from Mallow train station yesterday uh, and you were literally <laughs> just over the road from us here. Uh, that's the one where the train was late, unfortunately. Uh, and yes, right. people are allowed to smoke on the platform. Is yeah, that, is that unusual? It's completely unusual. So in Britain, you're not allowed to smoke anywhere, uh, not even on the, obviously not on the train, but not even on the, the platform, oh. you know, which is why you always see crowds of people, even in the rain, you know, hovering outside the entrance to railway stations having, a, having their cigarettes. So we were surprised that people could smoke on the platform. That was, that was a, a novelty to us. Considering this country, we were the first to introduce the smoking ban, which is 15 years ago this week. But we are right, allowed. Yeah. We are allowed on on the on the platforms because I suppose it's deemed outside. Okay, Vicky, any plans for the weekend? Yes. And wh- wh- what are you getting up to for the weekend? Yes, we're going down to Waterford, so we'll be in Waterford uh, for the weekend. Um, we're, tra- we're going to make a special trip back up to uh, Tipperary Station, which is on on that line down to Waterford. Um, I- I'm really curious to find out a little bit more about Tipperary. I'm very familiar with it because of the, the wartime song. Um, so we're going to go back and have a look at Tipperary. Oh, it's a long way to think- Tipperary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but yes, yeah, so on Sunday, we, we, might, we might have a lion. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well deserved. Wow. I hope, I hope so. And the amount of people are saying it is such a pity that you won't be able to make it to West Cork because the railway line is gone now with many, many years. And also, if you could have made it to West Cork, Clonakilty has a model railway village, which is stunning. We've heard this, yeah, a lot of people have have sent that in and they've said, oh, you know, if you do have time, try and get down there. We've heard it's it's incredible. Well, on your next visit to Ireland, the railway village is a must, okay, in Clonakilty. Okay. It it, it absolutely is. Okay, you're on the, is the bus moving to Blarney? It is. I'm on my way to okay. the castle, Patricia. All right, go go kiss the Blarney stone. And uh, Jeff, you go find the Greenway. 
I'm on it. I'm on it. Oh, you're I'll on it. it. Okay. Yeah. And we'll talk again next week. Okay. Have a lovely weekend. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye bye. And all the, all the stations. Uh, if you just Google all the stations, it'll come up. Their first uh, little video went up last night on uh, YouTube, and they're on all of the other various platforms. And honest to God, it is addictive. It just really is addictive because I think they're just nice people. And once you get into it and start following it and start, you're just you're dying to see where they go next and it's just going to show off this country beautifully as well because we know what a gorgeous country we live in. 1850 Somebody's saying she should go to UCC. Vicky should go to UCC as well. Yeah, I mean there's just a whole list of, of places and suggestions that we have for them but they have such little time it's just to try and get them. And delighted she's gone to Blarney because she's a big she's a big old fan of, of castles and I think she will particularly love uh, to see uh, Blarney Castle. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Thank you to Bridget who sent down a lovely photograph of Jeff and Vicky, uh, the the couple on the train heading around uh, Ireland uh, to say, Hi uh, Patricia, good morning to you. Uh, just listened to your interview with Vic and Jeff and it was my son Dan was that excited chap following them on Instagram that ran up to the McKen Street station in the city on his way to college this morning and she includes a lovely photograph of her son Dan with Jeff and uh, Vicky. Uh, Bridget says Dan is big into trains and railways himself. He was delighted to meet them and to wish them well on their journey. I would say that he wished he was travelling with them himself. Yes, if you're into trains at all, it is just what a wonderful, wonderful thing uh, to do. And when I was mentioning, and I'm still uh, saddened for them that they're not going to get the opportunity, certainly on this trip, to go along to the Clonakilty Railway Village. What a trip that will be uh, for them. And I was just looking on the Lonely Planet to see how are the Lonely Planet of Ireland selling the Clonakilty Railway uh, village and they say this is this is what they say in the Lonely Planet uh, for people coming to Ireland of course people who come to countries that have never been there before they you know they get the Lonely Planet it's a great way to get tips and insights and suggestions of where you should go and uh, some of those things that are not traditionally get a lot of publicity the Lonely Planet is great for that and it says that you can't help but smile at the West Cork model railway villages village it features a vast outdoor recreation of the West Cork Railway as it was during the 1940s with superb miniature models of the main towns in West Cork. There's also the road train that provides 20 minute uh, guided circuit of the town of uh, Clonakilty so they sell it well in the Lonely Planet. Hopefully on another trip back for Jeff and Vicky they'll get the opportunity of going to the Model Railway Village and then Philip says uh, Patricia, the Clonakilty Railway Village computer programme was set up by the late route planner for the British Railway. I did not know that. Whose son took over that position. Their name eludes me at present, but I was informed of that by an engineer working there last year who also showed me the computer room. Isn't that uh, a nice tie in the fact that it is a railway village and to think that the, the programme was the computer programme was set up by somebody who did the route planner for the British Railway that's uh, uh, terrific I was unaware of that thank you for that who also actually here's here's a piece of uh, interest for you for if you were one of those people that like to know you know what happened on this uh, day here's a great gem of information that tells us on this day in 1876 it, in Dunquin in County Kerry saw the birth of Peg Sayers now Peg Sayers for a lot of us 
puts the fear of God into us when you think of your Leaving Cert Irish exam. And it was only years later, I remember rereading Peg Sayers, I have to say, in English rather than our, uh, in Ireland. And I got a better feel for the book because it's kind of drilled into me at school. And I just remember learning off paragraphs of Peg Sayers for my Leaving Cert because Irish, unfortunately, wasn't one of my strong subjects in school. So it was on this day in 1873 that saw the birth of uh, Peg Sayers, who went on, of course, to have her life on the Blaskett Islands that we all got to know in the book Peg's Heirs. She died in Dingle on the 8th of December 1858. She lived to a ripe old uh, age. She was married to a fisherman. She got married to a fisherman in 1892 and of course went on to have 11 children of whom six uh, survived. But she was this day, today was the birthday of Peg Sayers. And I know I've asked this before and I can't remember if we got an answer to it or not. That's, is, that, is Peg Sayers gone off the Leaving Cert curriculum? Do students today studying for the Leaving Cert no longer do Peg Sayers or is it still there? Now I know students doing their Leaving Cert will be in school but I don't know if any of the parents are listening. If you have a child doing Leaving Cert are they still studying uh, Peg Sayers? And also another recommendation, recommendation for Vicky and Jeff, our railway folk if when they're in the city to visit. Somebody suggested UCC, but someone said send them into the Honan Chapel for the most magnificent stained glass windows ever. And also there's reasonably priced food in the adjoining campus restaurant. That's a nice tip for everybody. I didn't realise there's reasonably priced food in the campus restaurant if anybody wants to go along there. Okay, now a couple of other things to give mention to. We have been asked to give a mention to a tea dance which is happening in Gagan on this coming Sunday, three o'clock in the afternoon. Music will be by Autumn Gold. Margaret, who is the PRO for Gagan ICA, asking us to give a mention to that. So there's a tea dance that tickles your fancy next Sunday afternoon at uh, three o'clock. Also coming into us by phone today. What are we getting in that I haven't already mentioned? Oh, Bantir Makra. Uh, we're on to say, Patricia, our bingo, a bantier with a twist, is in aid of Cork Penny Dinners with the proceeds of the raffle going to the Kieran O'Connor Fund. It's going to be a great night with two great causes and that's on tonight at half past eight in the White Country Inn in Banteria and they are two fantastic causes, the Cork Penny Dinners and the wonderful fundraising that's going on for Kieran O'Connor. So the White Country Inn in Banteria if you want to go along, Macra organising that. Uh, bingo with a twist. I don't quite know what the twist is but if you go along I'm sure you'll find out uh, more. Also on cruise liners, when we mentioned cruise liners earlier, Alfreds said, my wife and I went to Cove to see a large liner docking there and we walked down the town to have a cuppa. And we were very disappointed as all of the coffee shops and restaurants were so small and they actually couldn't cope with the number of customers who were looking for refreshments. So we ended up having to leave and uh, returned to the elm tree nearby for some food instead. So not enough coffee shops according to Alfred. Someone else, Margaret in Mallow, also just on Cove, says concerning cruise ships in Cove, um, they there should be more trains or buses to take them. This is the passengers alighting from the, or disembarking, isn't it? There's not what you do from a, a liner. They to take them to more scenic areas and into the city. There was only one small train to take people from the ship the day we were there, says Margaret Fontano. I'm surprised to hear that because usually there's a lot of tours organised and they're pre-arranged and people when they're on their cruise they book their days out. I mean anyone's ever been on a cruise will know to any other country will know that's how it works. You know, you're told in advance 
where you're docking and where the possible day trips are. So maybe on the particular day, Margaret, there wasn't that much interest in people going further afield. Maybe people just wanted to stay in Cove. Even though John from Cove reckons very few people stay around and the ones that do stay around don't spend a lot of money. He was saying it's further afield benefit from the cruises coming in, not Cove uh, itself. Just um, there's still no vote yet from the Houses of Commons. They are due to vote today. And of course, today was the day that the United Kingdom should have been leaving the European Union. They've had two failed attempts to get a deal through. Theresa May has separated her deal into two today. It has separated the deal now into two. That's why they're voting again today. And they will vote only on the withdrawal agreement. And depending on the result of the vote, Brexit Day will then become either April the 12th May the 22nd are possibly beyond. Okay, so we are awaiting the result. Michael says, this is Michael, our man in the know on Brexit, says if Theresa May fails on a vote today, then she cannot bring the withdrawal agreement back again. So it will be crash or revoke. What a mess. No wonder Angela Merkel is coming to Dublin. By the way, that got announced earlier that Angela Merkel is coming to for a flying visit to Dublin on Thursday to discuss border concerns. And then Leo Varadkar is going to Paris on Tuesday. Michael says, exciting times ahead. Nobody really knows. I mean, this was, wasn't this always the problem with Brexit? Nobody knows what a Brexit looks like. And, and I still think nobody knows what a Brexit uh, looks like. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. There is an auction in the Old Triangle in McCroom that's happening tonight at 8 o'clock. It's to raise funds for a storage shed and seating for the Tiny Feet Fairy Garden. Auction items include concert tickets, rugby tickets, signed Munster jersey, jewellery, gym membership and much more. And that is on tonight at 8. A fundraising KLE will be held in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic tonight at 9.45. Music is by Nelly O'Connor and teas will also be served. Ballyduff Community Council, they're holding a fashion show in St. Michael's Hall in Ballyduff Upper. Tonight starts at 8.15, admission €12. And Staged will present plays in the Clash Community Centre tonight at 8. Plus there will be musical entertainment by local musicians. You're invited to come along and support local and new playwrights. Fremont Community Development Association, they're hosting an evening of fashion and fun. It's in collaboration with Celia Holman Lee Model Agency or proceeds going towards local projects. The Ballandangan players are presenting Play On as in Ballandangan tonight, tomorrow Saturday and again on Sunday night. 8 o'clock each night, tickets available at the door. Dunmanway Kyoltis are running a bilingual table quiz for national schools. That's on the GAA Pavilion tonight at half past seven. Children from third class upwards can attend. Tables of four, please. Bingo is on every Friday night, including tonight, Kildallery Parish Hall at half past eight. The jackpot's 750 euro. Clyde Rovers GAA. They're holding their lotter draw in the Hill Bar in Bottle Hill tonight with a jackpot of 12 and a half. 
€1,000. And you're asked to please support the Blood Bike South this weekend by donating to their bucket collection in the Riverview Shopping Centre in Bandon tomorrow Saturday from 9am to 5pm. They provide a voluntary service of bringing blood around to all of the hospitals. In Cork, farming is a vital part of who we are. That's why C103 brings you Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Saturdays at 10am and Wednesdays at 10pm. Why should farmers have their silage tested? Getting silage tested is so important. The quality of the silage will affect how cows are fed, the dry period and post-calving. Turn on Farm Talk with Dairy Gold Agribusiness for quality feed, expert service and support you can trust. Only on C103. Always delighted to get suggestions of a good night out. Jim says that anybody who's looking for a good night out and a laugh a minute, he would suggest uh, that they go along to Tully Lease Hall on Saturday and Sunday night of this weekend at eight o'clock for a very funny play called Pull the Other One. It's the 25th year of the Tully Loose Drama Group and they always put on an excellent play. Yeah, they, they really are a terrific... I mean, the amateur dramatics, I think, in this country is particularly good but I always think it's phenomenal in Cork I don't think I've ever been to an amateur drama group that hasn't put on a bad play I think it's just to do with the amount of work that they put into it and the effort that they put in and you know they're amateurs they're people who work all day and then in the evening time they go in and they do their their rehearsals and if they go on to the drama festival circuit that's just a huge undertaking because they've got to go get into so many festivals in order to get the points to try to get them to qualify for the All-Ireland uh, finals which obviously is the ultimate goal of all of the drama groups that decide to go on the festival circuit but it's like bringing all of the props and the scenery and the costumes and getting everybody from A to B in order to take part in a festival and most people as I say do it they've got their full time job so they're working during the day and then home quick bite to eat and they're off out again it's a huge huge commitment but a great it's a fantastic pastime but we have some wonderful amateur actresses and actors who are as close to professional I think as you will ever see so yeah I'm I'm a big fan and a big advocate of people supporting local drama groups so Jim uh, delighted to give it a mention Tully Lee's Hall this weekend for Pull the Other One and nothing like a bit of a comedy as well so if you want to go along there and enjoy it comes highly recommended from Jim thank you for that uh, Jim I was was going through the papers this morning as I always do and I came across a story and I just thought dear God you know it's 2019 why are breastfeeding mothers still having to put up with this kind of bull in this day and age and yes it is another one of those stories about a young mother who was left upset after a member of staff now you'd be surprised at this at the Department of Foreign Affairs told her to move to another room why? Because she was breastfeeding her little baby her baby is three months old and the lady's gone public and I think she's right to go public and share her story and and tell the world what's happening in the hope that people will read about it as, and, and be shocked as I was this morning but in the hope that people will read about it and in the hope that people will realise that it is illegal in this country to stop a woman from breastfeeding or to ask a woman to move to another area because she might be upsetting people because she's doing the most natural thing in the world the most natural thing in the world being she is feeding her baby so legally you are entitled to breastfeed anywhere you want in this country it's actually enshrined in the constitution it's in the Equal Status Act 
that was brought in 19 years ago, the Equal Status Act of 2000, and it protects people, including breastfeeding mums, from discrimination and harassment, including sexual harassment. So you are not allowed to ask a breastfeeding mum to move on. That's what happened in this case. Vicky Page is 37. She was feeding her three-month-old baby, little Alexander. She was in the waiting room of the passport office, so under the remit of the Department of Foreign Affairs. She said her son woke up and obviously needed to be fed. So she starts feeding him. She had a man comes over and says, you can't do, but then he stopped. He was cute. He didn't say you can't do that here. But they didn't finish the sentence, but he did say to Victoria, I'm going to show you somewhere that you'll be more comfortable. And Vicky straight away says, you know, I really don't mind feeding him here. You know, I'm, I'm comfortable enough. She was, you know, thinking in her head, well, my baby is comf- my baby's happy, he's comfortable and if I stop feeding a three-month-old baby, if she unlatches the three-month-old baby, three-month-old babies will do what three-month-old babies will do, he will just start screaming the house down, saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? I want my food. Anyway, she said that when she arrived at the Department of Foreign Affairs, this is done before the staff member came anywhere at near her. She said she had sought out the seating in the passport office because the waiting area of the consular services office was closed. And obviously she was going in there to do something with the consular service. So she saw that the passport office had seating area um, and an empty waiting area. So that's where she went. And um, so that's where she sat down. Anyway, this guy came over and moved her and ushered her to an area that was completely empty and says, you can go in there now and and breastfeed there. And she said she thought when he came over and said, I'll show you somewhere where you're going to be more comfortable. She thought that he was going to bring her to a mother and baby room that she thought at that stage and they must have a mother and baby they must have you know a much more comfortable feeding area that I wasn't aware of so she thought that the guy was just being nice but it was only when she was ushered to an area by the staff member where there was nobody else she then realised that it was he was uncomfortable it was nothing to do with her being more comfortable he just didn't want her feeding in this public area of the passport office. And she said she was quite upset uh, by the whole thing. But she said, if anything, it's made her more determined than ever that she's going to breastfeed wherever she needs to breastfeed. When her baby needs to be fed, she has decided she's not going to be put off uh, by this. She says she's never, by the way, had anything like this happen anywhere before. She said you will get, and she has had some funny looks in the past, but she's never had somebody come over and ask her to move our shore somewhere else to go. And she said she certainly wasn't expecting it from someone in a public office in particular. She said this was the Department of Foreign Affairs and you would assume that the Department of Foreign Affairs is full of diplomats and that people would be very diplomatic to you and that they wouldn't make her feel because she ended up feeling upset and she ended, she was the one who ended up feeling uncomfortable. Now obviously she got on to the Department of Foreign Affairs and told them what has happened and they've apologised and said the situation has been resolved in that the department contacted the individual concerned and they just said the, that the the issue has been resolved in that, you know, obviously I'm assuming they, well, they have openly apologised uh, to Victoria and to her little baby. And I'm assuming that the member of staff was spoken to. I mean, the Leche League, who are a group we would have spoken to over the years, 
they're the group who are trying to encourage people to uh, breastfeed. They described the encounter as very unfortunate. They say it's one thing to offer a woman who is breastfeeding another room, but she's entitled to be where she wants to be. Far from asking her to move, he should have asked, is there anything that you would need? Is there anything I can help you with? And I just feel when you see, I'm glad though to hear Victoria say that even though she was upset, but if anything, it's made her more determined to breastfeed in public. It's not going to turn her off. So I was glad to hear her say that because there's always the fear that if a woman is breastfeeding and something like this happens, she's told to stop or she's told to move or you're upsetting other people when you stop doing that. That what happens is it actually deters other mothers who might be considering breastfeeding or who might be struggling with breastfeeding that it might actually put them off continuing to breastfeed or it might put a mother off breastfeeding uh, completely. And, you know, we know that the government's official policy is they want more mothers to breastfeed. There are huge health benefits to breastfeeding and previous generations of mothers always breastfed. But then unfortunately, there was a turn off against breastfeeding that I think came in around the 70s. It was almost seen, it was the uncool thing to do if you breastfed. They almost made it look into kind of the late 60s into the 70s that you were only poor mothers breastfeed and you know they were putting forward the argument that the bottle milk was better for your baby than breast milk and that went on for a number of years and then unfortunately then you had a generation of mothers who grew up not breastfeeding and then their daughters became mothers and they didn't have role models. Their own mothers weren't able to help them because they didn't do it themselves. So there has been a battle in recent years to get mothers to breastfeed again. We know that breast milk is best. There's just there's just huge health benefits both to mother but particularly uh, to the baby and we need to turn that around and we need to do we still don't have enough mothers uh, breastfeeding and I know when I was in Australia at Christmas and we stayed with my sister-in-law who had just had a a new baby the baby was five weeks old little baby Emily and uh, she was breastfeeding so everywhere we went obviously we had baby Emily uh, with us and I just remember thinking God this is the easiest way to raise a, a, a newborn baby and to, you know, to go out because obviously we were on holiday so there was lots of day trips. You know, nothing other than grab the nappy bag was all she had to do and no matter where we were when little Emily needed to be fed, Emily was fed but it is such the, it is the done thing in Australia. It would almost be frowned upon if you went into hospital and suggested that you didn't want to breastfeed. Everything is done. You're You've, everything is catered for mothers. I mean, everywhere we went, I didn't, I mean, to hear this young Irish mother say that she, when she's breastfeeding, she does get some funny looks. As I say, I was out with my sister-in-law while she was breastfeeding. Not once did we get a funny look from from anyone. If anything, when we were out in, in restaurants or in cafes, and, you know, we'd always, you know, sit down and we'd be trying to have our lunch ourselves while she was breastfeeding. There was people coming over, staff were coming over to see if we could be helped out in any way. Did we need any help? Did mother need any help? It was lovely. It was absolutely lovely to see it. And uh, she said that when she was out on her own, whenever she was out with baby on her own, you know, if she went in somewhere and would be 
you know, breastfeeding and all was very discreetly done, you know, I mean, just very discreetly done. But if she went in anywhere, particularly into a restaurant or, or a coffee shop where it was like a self-service place and she would sit down breastfeeding, a member of staff would come over and say, what can I get you? And they'd bring the food over to her. You know, they were more than helpful. And certainly anywhere we were out where there was public toilets, like large shopping centres, places like that, fantastic facilities for mothers and babies, lovely rooms with lovely comfy couches in them and, uh, you know, stocks of nappies in case you ran short and you didn't have nappies. So they they certainly cater for a mum and a baby, that is for sure. But it's just, I couldn't believe when I opened the papers this morning and saw a, bre- a headline saying breastfeeding mother asked to move from the passport office. I just said, God, I really thought we were well gone past that day. But I'm gla- glad that that mother has come out and gone public and told the story because hopefully it'll act as a deterrent to anybody else who may be considering because it is against the law. If you are a mother and you're pregnant and you're considering breastfe- breastfeeding, absolutely 100% I encourage you to do it. And to anyone else, remember you are legally entitled in this country to breastfeed anywhere you want. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And by the way, just when I was doing the community diary there a minute ago, I called out about a bingo that's on. It's actually been cancelled. That's the bingo in Kildare tonight um, for obvious reasons due to the um, tragic bereavement in in that area. So there's no bingo on in Kildare tonight. Now, this year's Street Feast is taking place on Sunday the 5th of May. Now, it's part of the inaugural National Community Weekend hosted by the Department of Rural and Community Development. To chat about this year's Street Feast, I'm joined by the co-founder and that's uh, Sam Bishop. Good afternoon to you, Sam. Hi, how are you? I'm I'm very well. Now, this is the 10th year of Street Feast. Just take us back 10 years and remind us about how it all came about. Yeah, um, I I never expected to be uh, doing it for 10 years, but uh, it's kind of crazy. Um, But yeah, so um, to to get us going, Street Feast is basically a national day of um, community street parties and community celebrations. And um, we started it 10 years ago um, out of the desire to build more community connections and to, I suppose, also connect people to their local food. Um, but realistically, really, it was all about um, connecting people and, and getting people to know their neighbours a bit more, getting people out from their houses uh, to share food together on the street. Yeah, because I mentioned it um, earlier on in the programme when when I was teeing up that you were coming on. Like, we have a tendency to all live busy lives and we'll wave at somebody in number two and we'll smile at somebody every morning as we pass as we're all leaving the housing estate together to to head out for work. But we need to spend more time connecting with each other. Exactly. I I, I completely agree. I suppose it's, it's that funny thing where the busier we get, the less chance we get to just even uh, check in. Um, I think we've kind of lost the culture of um, kind of knocking in on someone, like kind of uh, knocking on someone's door or uh, calling in on someone. Um, and that might be for our friends, but it's also for our neighbours. Uh, I think that we used to do that more. I think we might have just lost the culture a bit of doing that. And, and that kind of has uh, ramifications because it means that people could be at home and not, fe- not kind of uh, able to... I suppose they, won't, they might not see anyone for a while, you know, especially like older generation. Um, I actually uh, was living in, in Cabra there in Dublin uh, for a few years. And I noticed that there was like a lot of um, the younger generation were moving in, um, kind of young professionals. And so there was 
the older generation were kind of interspersed with younger generation and the older people just didn't feel as comfortable about um, kind of being on the street even or being out uh, in the cul- in the cul-de-sac um, and they didn't know who to say hello to they didn't no. it was it was it was kind of it felt, it was, felt very sad so that's kind of driven us to continue this work um, I suppose for, for us when we now that we're doing this uh, national day um, the great thing about that is we, we when we give out our free packs with bunting and posters and invites um, when you get your invites you, when you knock on people's door to say listen this is happening all around uh, the country it doesn't sound so crazy because you know for a lot of people it, does, it is a bit mad to go and knock on someone's door and say hiya uh, do you fancy sharing a sandwich yeah <laughs> um, like it's just it's, just, it's not something we usually do uh, and, and, and you might sound a bit crazy by doing that but, but I suppose um, because there are actually um, hundreds of thousands of people now taking part in Street Feast every year it's actually becoming something which is a bit more normalised it's like um, listen this thing is happening um, on the Maybank holiday. Um, there's loads of other villages and uh, estates around Cork who are doing this. Why don't we? Uh, that's the kind of uh, message that we're trying to encourage people to to say to their neighbours. And, and so you would suggest something like three o'clock on the Saturday afternoon, we'll all meet on the green and everybody brings some food, is it? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's actually not like a new concept. It's, it's something we've done for years, but basically it's, it's, a, it's a, a potluck. So... Uh, we invite everyone to bring a dish. And you basically go, right, well, what, what time was it with us? Maybe it's um, 3 p.m. On, on Sunday. Generally, we have it on the Sunday. Sunday, uh, okay. But uh, any, any day uh, around then works. Um, and, um, like, right, who, who, can, who can bring out a table? Um, I know there's, uh, there's one lad, I think he's in Maryville, who, who uh, he, he gets uh, the neighbours each to bring out uh, one piece of equipment, whether it be, like, a gazebo or a table or uh, a couple of chairs. And between them all, they they make the feast happen, uh, and it goes on for a few hours. Doesn't go too late. Um, others others do. Others go right into the night. Um, you kind of let it run its natural course, um, and the kids love it. The uh, it's always, it feels so special. Actually, it's it, it, it's not a feeling that you get when let's say you're having a kids' birthday party or you're or you're having yeah. a gathering with family. It's a different feeling, and it's uh, and it it is a very special thing to try. So what we encourage people to do is to not try do something too big keep it small like keep it kind of you know a few households to start with um like down the coast like, as opposed to trying to get the whole housing estate of maybe 100 houses involved why don't you try a cul-de-sac mm. um just to, to get going because realistically what we're trying to do is we're trying to uh, even get someone's name uh get to have a chat with somebody and, and if it's too big it kind of means that it becomes this big festival which uh, no one really can be it's too much work for people as well. So um, keeping it small, keeping it simple is, is what we really recommend. It's such a simple concept. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it really is a clever. Um, and you want people to register and by registering you get this free street feast pack. Exactly. So <laughs> there's nothing like a bit of incentive uh, to get people going, you know. Um, we, um, we do. We, we, when people register on the website, uh, streetfeast.ie, um, we send out a free pack, and that includes 60 foot of bunting and posters and invites and uh, like a DIY guide. Um, we're also distributing chalk, actually, um, around the libraries, um, and we're encouraging people to go into the li- library and collect some street chalk. You know that kind of chunky chalk? Yeah. That you can, um, yeah, so we kind of thought it'd be great. Um, now, having said that, though, you know, just, just to remind people, 
it doesn't have to be on a street. It can be on a laneway or it can be in the front garden or it can be anywhere, really. Um, yeah. And, um, but the, 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 this chunky street chalk is great because it lets the kids kind of uh, be creative. Uh, can, they can draw it at hopscotch um, on the street or they, oh. can, they can do various... Um, I know, we're going r- right back in time, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, hey, so do, do kids still play hopscotch? Well, they will now, says you, with the, the street chalk. I don't think anyone's played hopscotch in ten years now, but uh, I um, we are trying to encourage people to 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 at least have a bit of fun um, and be a bit of creative. Mm. Um, like what it's it's always so um, surprising to find the skills that people have uh, who live very close to you. Um, it's kind of crazy that we don't know what um, what people work at or what people um, do or their passions. Um, it's not to say that we're trying to get everyone to become great friends but the um the feeling you get when you um kind of come home from work and you actually know people and you and you bump into people on the way home uh, makes you feel a bit more connected to your absolutely your, um, absolutely and you'll be more um i suppose it's like i remember one woman um told me when she she moved into a an estate in ashbourne and uh she got she got to she heard a few she met a few people and uh, then she heard about three feet she did it and um it went down really well, but then a few weeks after that, she actually got really ill, and um, and she actually had to rely on the people around her to to support her. And she, I suppose it was out of the street feast that that came about. Um, and then they ended up having cheese and wine nights every kind of six weeks, and that after that throughout the summer, uh, or a little barbecue. But I suppose it was just that, um, that initial thing where if you have a street feast, um, it's a pretty simple thing, but actually other things can come out of it. So you might find that um, a I don't know. The, the guy down the road actually teaches drums and, and your kid has always wanted to learn how to play the drums or it could be that um, uh, people are actually quite interested in that vacant spot down the road um, maybe we could start a community garden down there or there's a few kids who are interested in coding and um, computers why don't we set up a little coder dojo club a little kind of kids coding club those kind of little um, social projects or projects for kids don't really start until people start talking and I suppose um you can only really get people talking if you get them together. So that's, that's it. What you know, do. on the old saying, it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a housing estate to raise a child. If you get everybody involved, it's that, exactly. it's that connection. It's, it's that all-important connection. And it's really grown over the 10 years, Sam. And I was looking at the figures. Was it like something like 1,300 feasts, street feasts were held last year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, yeah. unreal. Um, and Cork particularly good. Cork is brilliant. Um, it's been really great. We've had um, backing from Cork City Council and Cork County Council, and they've been uh, they've helped us to spread the word and to get the packs out. And um, last year we had 108 street feasts around the county and city. So we're hoping to uh, grow that. This year, this week actually, we ran a little uh, launch event in the city. Uh, the uh, Lord Mayor came down, and um, yeah, it was really good. It was just kind of it was what we did was we actually invited some of the previous hosts. So people who had registered before, who'd had street feasts before, to come down. We met them. They could tell us our sto- their stories, uh, some really funny stories and and, uh, and lovely ones as well. Because what they realised is that there was people who they'd actually never met, who'd been living there for years, um, and uh, and it was just they they were just so surprised that these people even existed. <laughs> um, but it's kind of created new relationships. Um, but yeah, so that's what happened this week. We had that launch. Um, and now we're just hoping that people people register, people go on the website, which is again streetpeace.ie, and um, and then uh, if if people need any information, they can contact us, or if they want any support with it, um, 
or any questions at all, they can they can give us. A and will, will it make a difference coming in under the uh, the new National Community Weekend Initiative? Um, it will because um, I suppose National Community Weekend is a new initiative that's been run by the department uh, this year, and uh, I suppose for the first year it's kind of like a trial run, so they're they're trying to see how it goes. So that's happening right across uh, the country on. Um, the Maybank holiday weekend. Same so weekend, we, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So basically we teamed up. We said, listen, there's no point in us both doing this on separate weekends. Let's do it together. Yeah. Um, so their their kind of priority is to try and get as many things as possible, whether it be a street feast or whether it be, let's say, a park run event or whether it be any kind of community initiative um, could have an event on that weekend. And actually every county council has been given a bit of funding to distribute to groups across the county. Um so you can contact your local county council and ask them for if they have a little bit of funding. It could be like two or three hundred euros to go to towards it. your street feast or to your community um, project. Okay. Well, we um, wish you yeah. we wish you luck with it, uh, Sam. And uh, streetfeast.ie is where people need to register. Listen, I enjoyed our chat. Thank you for that. Great. And, uh, thanks, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, bye bye, Sam Bishop, who is the um, founder of Street Feast, which has been going on for the last uh, ten years. And we do need to get that connection back. I remember certainly growing up as a child, we knew every single house. You could name everybody that lived in every single house on both sides of the street, up and down and right up along the road. Uh, Whereas today, unfortunately, that just doesn't uh, seem to happen. Now, in case people are travelling to Dublin this weekend, Kildare County Council have been on to say it has planned works going on uh, this weekend. They're putting the finishing touches to the M7 upgrade. The motorway will close from nine o'clock this evening until Sunday night. So a bridge can be demolished between both Nace junctions. That's where I... I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you on Monday morning at 10 on to the 9 Patricia Messenger. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.